Hello and welcome to the Poetry Exchange. I'm Michael Schaefer. And I'm Fiona Bennett. Really lovely to be back with you after our summer break. Uh, Fee, did you have a nice summer? I had a very nice patchwork summer. Bits of seeing friends and family, bits of thinking and writing and, yeah, and a bit of resting. Much poetry in your summer? Oh yes. Much reading, much writing. Very good. Much listening. I think I may have found a friend this summer. A poem that's been a friend to you, A poem Michael. that's been a friend to me, but let's, let's find out. Let's find out how I that... get on with this friend mm. over a period of time. Watch this space. So before we get into this month's episode, got some news to share and indeed an invitation to make to you, which is that we've now got a donate page on the website. As you know, the podcast is always free to listen to. You don't have to buy a ticket to tune in. And we're really focused on bringing you the best listening experience we possibly can. So to do that, uh, we're asking for your help. The page is there on the website. It's very simple to use. Every contribution, however small or large, makes an enormous difference. And you can choose to do a one-off donation or something monthly. We've also spent the summer gathering some more conversations and doing some more exchanges. And in August, we were at the Baltic Gallery as part of an event called Poetry Takeover. And we had some really fantastic conversations. Uh, and our thanks go to everybody at the Baltic for making us feel so welcome. So you're going to be listening to John Preble and Degna Stone talking about Continuous by Tony Harrison the poem that's been a friend to Peter. Yeah, just to sort of give some context, this is um, the title poem of this collection by Tony Harrison called Continuous. Um, I came across it in my first year as a student of English literature here in Newcastle. Um, and I would say it's been a friend if being a friend includes at times falling out with each other mm-hmm. and then falling back in with each other okay. and, and changing over time. I mean, he deals with his father's death. When I first read this poem, my father was alive and, and well, and my father's now died. And, and so there are aspects of this poem which resonate much more um, now than, than then. Wow, what a, what a sense of all the life you've had with it and the way it's changed already. Mm. It'd be lovely to hear you read it. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Okay. Continuous. James Cagney was the one up both our streets. His was the only art we ever shared. A gangster film and chalk ice were the treats that showed about as much love as he dared. He'd be my own age now in 49. The hand that glinted with the ring he wore, his father's, tipped the cold bar into mine just as the organist dropped through the floor. He's on the platform lowered out of sight to organ music this time on loop tape, into a furnace with a blinding light, where only his father's ring will keep its shape. I wear it now to Cagney's on my own, and sense my father's hands cover on my treat. They feel as though they've been chilled to the bone from holding my ice cream all through white heat. Yeah, I can see why the relationship with the poem is changed yeah uh, I mean there was a I mean there was a point early on to be honest where 
uh, I, if I had to read this out loud, I would struggle to get past the fourth line. The first time I read this poem, that first four lines that end with as short as, about as much love as he dared, hit me like a, a thump, because you know um, it was so it was so on the nose with my own relationship with my dad. Um, my dad was a, an Irishman who came over after the war. He wasn't an English speaker. Only learned to speak English after he got over here. Um, and I was one of six children. I was the fifth. And uh, he worked as a builder's labourer his whole career. He was a small man, smaller than me, but enormously powerful because of the hard physical labour that he did. And you know, six children, lots of work. My mother was working nights in a factory. There was very little time. And one of the few things I remember, this is going back to the 60s, early 70s, was he would take me and my brother, I don't know why, just me and my brother, to the, to the pictures, to see films. I remember seeing Disney films, I remember seeing Zulu, and, Cromwell and I think the sound of music as <laughs> well. Um, as one of the few things that he did, and and the chalk ice just killed me because you don't get chalk ices in cinemas anymore. And that, that was such a strong memory. Having a chalk ice was such a. We were very poor. Having a chalk ice was an enormous sort of thing. And that first verse just floored me, absolutely. And it was that thing, um, showed about as much love as he dared. That that sort of. Uh, the idea of like overt emotion as an act of daring was so that that was like so bang that was what it was like in my family because it was, it was hard there was no time there was a lot of us to go around and so it wasn't a snuggly cuddly family it wasn't a sort of you know, but there was a lot of love there but it had to be sort of squeezed out <laughs> and the idea of it you know showing about as much love as he dared was like wow um, that was the hook for the rest of the poem. The second, the second thing that got me about it was his immense technical expertise. There's a line in this which has an, I'm still pondering, I ponder aloud today. Um, there's a line in this which has an extra beat. And that must be significant because Tony Houser would never leave something like that to chance. It starts with James Cagney, it ends with white heat. It saddens me a bit that over time, maybe young people reading this now are going to need a lot more notes than I did. <laughs> What's this organ doing dropping through the floor? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just about old enough to remember very, very young um, an organ being in the cinema, but I don't remember it dropping through the floor. But I, I know I'm familiar with the, the, the concept of the organist who was lowered at the cinema and how that relates to the um, cremation that happens mm. in the second half of the poem and how it, it makes that link. Um, but I suppose there are also young people who will be saying, Who's James Cagney yeah. and what's White Heat? You know, which is the famous film where he ends up on top of a, a gas container screaming, made it my top of the world and it blows up. And that's where the, my sort of argument with the poem begins because I was, originally I was just so knocked out by the integration of all the images and the play on cold and heat and the organ in the cinema becomes the organ in the cremation and the music and the moving up and down. It's so beautifully put together and so well put together. And I started being suspicious of it. Right. At a certain point, rereading this book, I'm going to go, oh, I love this poem, I'm going back to it and thinking, you know what, now that, that just all seems a bit too machine-like, a bit too sort of neat. Mm. For me, Mark... So, so, I'm just like really interested in, in how the, there was something, because you felt like a really strong connection to this poem, and then there's something in the poem that at one point just jarred with you and then, and then tipped you out. I'm really intrigued about it. It was the way that... 
fundamentally, everything in this poem works and integrates and matches and comes to a natural point where it all comes together and goes boom. Mm -hmm. Now, artistically, that's quite an achievement. And I think as I got older, my experience, that wasn't my experience of life. And the world doesn't do that. It do, you, know, you, you might have your odd little epiphanies here and there, but it, it, there was something almost too neat. And, it's a, and this isn't isolated. This is a trick that Tony Harrison pulls in a lot of these poems. It's because of the, the use of form and rhyme. It pushes you towards that sort of, almost the structure of a joke. No, that way so it was at the end, you know, ta-da, this is how it, how it works. And that didn't take away from the sort of emotional content of it for me. That's where I conflicted with it. I said, I said I was falling out, I'm having a sort of dialogue with it. But how real are you? And yet, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was pushed out and back in you know, about the working classness and writing and, uh, and also the use of form. I think well, it is so fascinating that you've got this argument that you're yeah. going on about it and the nature of that argument and feeling of conflict with it for you. It feels, it feels like the conflict itself is quite personal to you, if I may. It feels like your, your way of well, relating to this and your, and your conflict with it is also bound up in quite a lot of your own sense of... Yeah, yeah I, I, well, I think means, uh, go back to what I first said. When I, I was at, I'm at university, a student, slightly a fish out of water in a very sort of almost cliched sense, looking for things to identify with and things to say, yes, this is me. This is someone like me who's into books and poetry and literature, and this is me. And, um, and so that was a very personal thing that I sort of attached to these, this poem and these poems. And so any suggestion that there's something inauthentic about that is almost like uh, it's questioning my authenticity or the authenticity of what I'm thinking. <laughs> so I went through that phase and I'm not, I'm not out of that phase of dialogue. And then I think coming back to it after my own father died and suddenly other things started happening with, with the poem. Um, there are lots of, and they aren't as on the nail. No, my, my father didn't wear a wedding ring. He wasn't cremated. Um, but what absolutely sort of crushed me when I'm going back to it was the um, imagery about, about hands and, and hand holding. My father's hands were almost like um, fetish objects to me as a, as a child. He, he did this hard manual work and not uncommon with people who worked with their hands. You know, he, he would have calluses and very heavy skin in his hands. His hands were enormous compared to mine. Um, and one of the things I did as a child was rub special creams that he got from the doctors to top his... Because what would happen is, if you've got heavy calluses on your hands through working with tools, and cement was particularly bad for the skin, and you should dry it out, uh, the skin would crack, and you get these awful sort of deep, sore cracks in. So to prevent that, um, he had sort of special creams, and I would sit overnight by his chair, rubbing his cream, and it was that sort of direct physical contact. In a, in a family where, the, in retrospect now, I think there wasn't a lot of physical contact. That was probably the most intimate thing I ever did with my dad was sit and rub these enormous muscular callous tans. Um, and uh, later on, when I was with a sort of mi odd mixture of sort of taking the mick and, and pride, he, <laughs> especially in public, <laughs> it was part of his sense of humor, to take my hand and go, Look at that. Never done a day's work in his life. And contrast my hand, it's true, it? contrast my hands to his. So there's a thing about hands and the hand imagery in the poem, poetry, poem then killed me. And, you know, um, and, and, you know, right to the, t towards the end, 
I wear it now to Cagney's mm. on my own and sense my father's, father's hands cupped around my treat. treat. So the actual, yeah, act, actually in, 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 you know... Well, more than the, 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 the line about it feels chilled to the bone. And, um, uh, and this is a bit of the conversation that, that, that occurred to me quite late on. I thought, oh, really? Oh, God. <laughs> no one knows this. My dad, uh, my dad died in a bookies. He had a massive heart attack, age 78, in a bookies. He had 500 quid in his pocket. And as ways to, it was very distressing for all of us, as ways to go, <laughs> that was, you know, he was in full possession of his faculties. He was doing what he always enjoyed doing, which is uh, going to bookies and, and betting. Um, Sounds like he was winning as well. And he was winning. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and he literally, from people who were there with him, he just went. It was not, you know, it, was, it wasn't, uh, so, no. Obviously, I was told um, I rushed down uh, to Teesside where he was living, and he had been taken to the morgue, and they laid the body out for people to visit. And when I went in to see him, um, he was laid out, as people are, uh, with his hands in his pockets. And I had this overwhelming urge to hold his hand. And. I took his hand out of his pocket <laughs> and I just held his hand while I talked to him. <laughs> and that went out afterwards. Like, uh, I was uh, on one by thought, what they're going to think has happened? As his arm dropped off to the side, <laughs> they're going to go, what's been going on here? His hand has been taken out. I was overwhelmed by this sense of, oh my God, what have I done? I've done something really wrong. <laughs> I've messed around with his body. But it was just over. And at that moment, um, and it goes right back to everything in the poem and all the stuff from being a child. The overwhelming urge to hold his hand, and uh, and that's where that poem takes me now. And so, you know, with all my um, arguments with it and everything else, it's still got this enormous power for me. Uh, just because he because he's talked about rings and stuff, he picked on hands as an image, and that line about it, you know. I'm now someone who knows what it's like to hold his father's hand it's when it's chilled to the bone. Yeah, wow. So, you know, so, so it's it sort of, um, it's moved around a lot for me, this poem, yeah. and it's still there. And, I'm st and the thing is, I'm still working it out, and I'm still working out uh, how I connect to it, um, which I think is a great thing, because there's a lot of, you know, I've studied a lot of poetry, I've read a lot of poetry, and, and some of it is it's like a, a tick box. You know, um, Paradise Lost, tick. Chaucer, tick. Shakespeare's song. And it's like you've done it. You've studied it and done it. And some of it you might go back to and some of it you don't. But there are just a few things where you have this sort of, um, and this is definitely one of them for me, where this is an ongoing thing. Um, this is good. I may not read it for years, but this is something I'm, I go back to and then you know, and I have my concerns, and that, but it has this overwhelming power for me as well that I can't sort of work out. It sounds like there's knowing it for, for such a long time and sort of like, you know, from discovering it in a way where it wasn't part, wasn't something that you no, had to, to discover, you don't know what I mean? It sounds like so it's a poem, a poem that you've found that's been with you since you were a very young man. And, that, and to have this like this, what sounds like a really physical, a physical connection to it through, mm. through hands, it's like, it's like a really, for me, it's like really interesting to hear you talk about it in that because it just it makes the poem feel like a, a, a more of a solid presence. I guess it does, and it, and it 
in some ways it, it feels you know um, my, my dad in his late, when he became a grandfather in his later years and I think maybe when he had the time and leisure he became a much more approachable um, emotional man a man who would give you a hug and tell you he love you but there was none of that when I was a child um, and to some extent th this poem sort of fills in a sort of gap or a discussion about a relationship that we never had <laughs> you know because um, I never talked to him about him taking us to the pictures and I wish I had because it, it meant in, in retrospect it was in, in, it meant enormous it was one of the few times um, I mean, in a, such a big family, you're really alone with anyone. <laughs> and even now, my brother was there, but there was this, this, some sort of set-aside time just for the two of us. So it, it, it meant a great deal, as well as, you know, starting a long-term a long sort of relationship with films and going to the pictures, which I still like doing, you know. Um, so it taps into, into all of that. And it was also, and it's, it's even off me warnings, that that thing that killed me about that showed about as much love as he dared, was kind of, and it actually did. I mean, those words were in my head when I had my own children. My children weren't going to grow up thinking, in any doubt, <laughs> that I loved them. And, you know, um, it, and, you know that, that they wouldn't be saying that about me, that I occasionally dared to show a bit of affection. It was kind of a warning to say, well, you know, that was, that was understandable in the circumstances, but it wasn't what, no, it wasn't what I wanted for my children. Yeah. And that brings me on to the, one of the questions that we always ask, say, so if you could describe the type of friend this poem has been, how would you, how would you describe um, it as a friend? This is definitely a, a friend that I could not see for 10 years and I could ring him at three in the morning and the, when we'd just have a good old talk about if I had an issue. Mm. It's that sort of friend. You could sit and have a coffee <laughs> with them, or whatever, but it's, it's, it's a friend at, at, that level, at that level of connection where it's not necessarily, you know, it's not even necessary to like each other all the time, you know, and, and maybe this, this is, you know, a friend who's seen you when you're not being very likeable, um, that you've been through arguments and you've been through changes and you've, you know, stuff's happened that you're sorry about, um, but it's still there and it's still changing. A continuous friend. <laughs> and it's going you know, to go on. Yeah. I think there'll be stuff I'll be, I'll be thinking differently about yeah. with my own children as I get older and approach death myself. It'll be, you know, it'll be there as well. Yeah. Continuous. James Cagney was the one up both our streets. His was the only art we ever shared. A gangster film and chock ice were the treats that showed about as much love as he dared. He'd be my own age now in 49. The hand that glinted with the ring he wore, his father's, tipped the cold bar into mine just as the organist dropped through the floor. He's on the platform, lowered out of sight to organ music, this time on looped tape, into a furnace with a blinding light where only his father's ring will keep its shape. 
I wear it now to Cagney's on my own, and sense my father's hands cupped round my treat. They feel as though they've been chilled to the bone from holding my ice cream all through white heat. That was John with the gift reading of Continuous at the end there. Our thanks go to Peter for allowing us to share this conversation with you and indeed to Tony Harrison for giving us permission to feature the poem. Michael, am I right in thinking that Tony Harrison is the only living poet whose work has featured twice on the podcast already? Yeah, that's right. And I, I only knew him as a playwright before. It's fantastic to get to know another brilliant poem from him. Yeah, we also featured Turns with uh, Maxine Peake talking to us about the ways in which Turns has been a friend to her. If you want to find out more about Tony Harrison and his work, you can find a link on our description page. It's fantastic to be back and we're really looking forward to being with you again next month. In the meantime, if you do feel able to make a donation, just take a look at the donate page on the website and no matter how small, whatever you're able to send our way, it will make an enormous difference. That's about it from us. Thank you for listening. I mean, I think it was it them, them and us, one of those. That's me. Oh, just in time. <laughs> oh, why me? I'm glad that didn't happen. Might be my son. Don't grow up from talking about relationships. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too busy. <laughs> I'm too busy. We're talking about emotional intimacy. Exactly. Back off. Wait.